welcome to Valley Church. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here, if we haven't met yet. Um, but very excited that you guys are here. Um, I was told to make fun of Sam's, Sam just a little bit, but I decided not to. And instead, we will triumph together as the men's, the first men's event, we did cornhole. And Sam and I are the champion. We are the champion cornhole duo. And not only that, it must run in the blood or something. But Jackson and I won a different cornhole thing. So it's just like, you guys are great at cornhole. I don't know what. Yeah, it's them, not me. Well, I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into some scripture here, but let's just uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for today. Um, Jesus, that we have this building to gather together in for new life uh, right here in our uh, midst. Uh, we just thank you for that, and thank you uh, for the chance to uh, just be ministered to by your word and by your people here. So, Jesus, uh, we love you. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would guide us and allow our hearts to uh, open up to the things that you have for us through your words today. Um, and, Holy Spirit, we just ask for those promptings and those, uh, I don't know, those things that only you can do. Uh, we just ask for those things, and uh, we just pray that, uh, yeah, we would be open to them. We love you, Jesus. And we surrender this time to you now. Amen. Okay. So, how many parents we got here? We got, we got a few parents. Um, so, so, most of you will know what I'm talking about. For, but for those of you that are not parents, um, I have a small, like, I don't know if it's a complaint but, or advice, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, we've, had, we've, we've had some rough spots with the kids this week. Some fighting, things like that. But... One of the things about having like more than one kid is I feel like kids are like bloodhounds and can sniff out if something is fair or not. Let me explain a little bit. Um, we give a kid a balloon, we give one a balloon, the other expects a balloon as well. And if one is not provided, man, there's a flip out about to happen in about like two seconds and they cry out, not fair! We uh, also, like, simple things like um, if we have this little kid's table, they have, like, we have normal chairs, the, probably the Ikea table and chairs that everyone has for their kids. We, they sit in those, but sometimes we bring out a rocking chair, and if they both don't get rocking chairs, they both flip out. They can't take it. It needs to be fair. Or if we, uh, like, watch TV shows and one gets to pick a TV show and the other doesn't, not fair! They freak out and they, they lose their minds. Um, so for those of you with kids, you probably understand that or um, have seen that maybe happen if you uh, don't have kids. You've seen that happen to uh, parents in your lives and been like, oh, I wonder what that's like. It's not fun. It's not fun. But I think for all of us, I think we have that same type of uh, kind of like bloodhound sense of fairness, the bloodhound sense of justice and uh, even as adults, that happens. Uh, recently, I was at Dutch Bros, and we were getting Carol Cruz, our new children's coordinator, a, uh, a chai tea latte because I was like, oh, she's going to watch, watch our kids. And all she requested was a coffee. So I sat in line. It was busy. 
And the way those lines are just, they're just, they don't make any sense, the way they are set up. And someone cut in front of me, and I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to get so mad. And I lost my mind because cutting in line, everyone knows, not fair, not fair. And I hope that uh, as we dive into this, we can all kind of like, be on the same page, that we all have that kind of sense of what is fair and what is not. Because in uh, this chapter in Matthew that we're going into, uh, chapter 20, this is where Jesus is going to tell us what is fair about grace and the rewards he gives. So Jesus is uh, and has been continually tearing down what uh, the disciples think about what, it, what is true, what is right, and replacing it with, with what is actually true in the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, before we dive into chapter 20, though, uh, we need to review a little bit because what is happening at the beginning of this chapter is actually a response to a question that Peter asks uh, Jesus in the end of chapter 19. So, let's review real quick. Last week, Michael taught about this interaction between uh, a man that is affectionately known as the rich young ruler and Jesus. So, this guy, super... Um, uh, followed every, like, every bit of the Torah and could check every box. Like, yes, I have done this. Yes, I have done this. No, I have not done that. I followed the Torah through and through. However, this man, as we know, is rich and was not willing to give up that wealth. So, as it says in the text, he went away sad. And Jesus said that famous phrase, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were basically like stunned by this statement and wondered who could actually be saved then. And Jesus said another famous phrase, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And maybe because the disciples had truly left everything to follow Jesus, and maybe because they are also human and wondered, would we receive more because we followed you sooner? being Jesus, we have a greater reward than everyone else. And Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus responds with what the reward will be and that anyone who gives up everything to follow him will receive that a hundredfold and eternal life. And ends with this very strange statement one that uh, basically flips everything upside down. It's, and he says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And this is where we pick up in chapter 20. So Jesus launches into this parable to explain more about what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Matthew chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles or your apps, let's start there. Matthew 20, verse 1 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So right off the bat here we have this landowner who represents God, who represents the Lord, needing people to work in his vineyard for the day. And this was common practice back then, and it actually still happens. Um, Farmers hire day laborers all the time now to work in their crops. And this landowner goes out early and finds them, probably out to a city center of some sort, and finds these people. And when it says early, it was probably around 
sunup, which would be around 6 a.m., right as the light was probably starting to uh, just peek over the mountains and stuff like that, the landowner finds these workers and agrees to pay them a denarius, which is probably the equivalent to like a day's wage, which was a very fair uh, wage for these people. And in Matthew 20, uh, verse 3, we'll continue on. It says, About nine in the morning, he went out and saw the others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So at nine in the morning, the landowner finds more workers, not hired, and they go and they work in the vineyard. But this time, it's kind of interesting. It says um, he will pay them whatever is right. They are basically trusting the landowner to, like, on this, the character of the landowner. They're like, yeah, he's going to pay us whatever is right, and trusting that. And the landowner did this again at 12 and again at 3. Kind of odd, not a normal thing. Uh, that most people would do. And the only thing that um, all the commentaries basically said about that is this is uh, not a normal practice, but probably because Jesus was emphasizing something for this story. So let's continue on in verse 6 and see what this is all about. So verse 6, it says, About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still another standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Okay, so they're about 12 hours in this working day, roughly 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And this, is, this says that he went out at 5 p.m. to go find more workers. Literally the 11th hour, and the landowner goes out and finds more workers workers, finds more people standing around and hires them. A few of the commentaries I read said that the best laborers were generally chosen first and earliest in the day for obvious reasons. If you were doing like labor intensive stuff, you'd want the big strong dude. I'd be like, yeah, Sam, you come and work. I wouldn't pick like me if I was going to carry heavy things. I'd be like, he's too short. I'm going to leave him. Give me the tall people. Yeah, give me the strong people. Those were generally picked the soonest. And as the day continued, 9, 12, 3 o'clock, slowly dwindles down even more. And at 5 p.m., with one hour left of available work, these workers that were left are literally the definition of the last and the least. These last and least went to work the vineyard for not even like probably took them just as much time to walk over to the farm as it uh, did anything else but one hour left in the workday. And nothing is mentioned about what they will be paid, if at all. However, when we read in uh, verse 20, it says this, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a full day's wage. So when they came, uh, so when those who came uh, were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. 
Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So we got this tension building between these workers who were hired early and the workers who were hired last. And there's this huge difference, obviously, in the amount of time and effort and the heat of the day that they were working. And um, when it comes time to pay the workers, the landowner definitely pays the workers um, that just worked one hour. Like, they're like, wow, I can't believe we got a full day's wage for only working an hour. Like, this is incredible. They're probably just thinking, what? This is amazing. This guy is so generous, and they were probably insanely grateful. However, this is where it gets super relatable. Like all of us, the workers that started at 6 in the morning, the workers who labored longer were probably thinking, hmm, they got one denarius. I'm probably going to get two maybe three, maybe four. I, like, this guy seems like super generous. Like, maybe we can get that much. But when it comes time for them to collect their wages, they also get one denarius. And probably, just like all of us would think uh, is in this situation as well, the workers who started early in the day say, like, basically, like, whoa, what's up with this? Like, hey, hey, why, why do they get as much as we do? They didn't work as long they didn't work as hard. They didn't work during the worst conditions of the day. Like, why, why do they get as much as us? And I think, like, for all of us, that's probably a super, like, relatable feeling. I, I feel like this is, like, super intentional on Jesus' part. He wants every single person to go, like, I can relate with that. I know that feeling of, is that fair? Is that right? Jesus is, like letting this like, like tension build because he's about to say something that totally turns that upside down. And in verse 13, he says, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. So right as we're probably thinking this landowner is being unfair, unjust, we're reminded that the landowner is being completely fair and completely just. The workers are paid exactly what they agreed upon. There's nothing for them to complain about. And that phrase at the end, are you envious because I am generous? Um, this speaks to... Um, the landowner noticing that these early workers are like genuinely probably mad. Um, the, the language here uses this phrase which doesn't translate well into English or anything like that. It's called, basically they were giving uh, this landowner the evil eye and they are um, just like, they look mad and they're not happy and this landowner is speaking to their unhappiness. And the landowner asked those two rhetorical questions. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Basically asking, aren't I in the right? Aren't I being lawful? Are you just being jealous because I've shown someone else generosity other than you? Very, probably 
pointed and um, humbling questions. The point, uh, D.A. Carson says this, the point of the parable is not that all in the kingdom will receive the same reward, but that kingdom rewards depend on God's sovereign grace. The grace that the landowner shows the worker here, it, it shows up uh, to the latest worker, and it's this huge, huge amount of grace for someone who just came on at the very end of the day. These workers that showed up at five are probably crazy grateful, and especially uh, when you take into account that these are the workers, again, that are the last, the least, the, the people that probably never get picked. If it was dodgeball, they, like, they wouldn't even be like, I don't even want you out on my team. Um, these people are the least and the last, and purely out of grace, the landowner brings them on as workers and pays them a full day's wage. Nothing they did earned it, except for the landowner's grace. So while, while those workers that started first, uh, they were not treated unfairly or unjustly, these people became the last. And with that, we see this like maybe a picture that was a little blurry becoming a little more clear as to what Jesus is talking about when he says the last being first and the first being last when these people that literally were last became the first. So, a bunch of scripture there, uh, a parable that we've maybe heard if we've been in the church before. Um, what are some thoughts, takeaways, uh, things for us as Valley Church that we might have? Um, the first one that, uh, as I was reading through this, is just the simple uh, truth that grace cannot be earned. And like, Again, if you've grown up in the church or like spent time around the Bible, this is like a phrase that you're probably used to. Grace cannot be earned. I feel like some days this makes so much sense to me and I'm like, yes, can't earn it. Free, it's amazing. And then some days I'm just like sitting there tallying up my own like faults and like, ah, oh, I was mad at my kids. I said something dumb to my wife. I uh, was lazy and didn't work hard enough. So I'm like, and I'm like, okay, now I gotta do this many good works to make up for all of that stuff over there. And then I, like, I'm basically in this tug of war in my own mind. And maybe um, that's just because I'm a little bit messed up, but this is one of the hardest things probably for these people listening to Jesus and maybe continuing for us in this day and age that, uh, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around because it's the complete opposite. The way the world works is much, uh, much the opposite. More time and effort you put into something, the more you receive back. Like if I put like, like 60 hours of work in, I will get like 60 hours of, of money back. So this, like, so this time and this investment that makes sense, this, we put in this much, we get mu this much back. However, Jesus is flipping that completely on its head. It's not about how much you work or how much you deserve at all. It's all about God's grace, which is not even like in the same ballpark as that at all. The Lord is doing something so different and explaining something, something so crazy in this parable. Today, I believe that the Lord wants us to reflect on our relationship with Jesus and maybe 
for us, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we trying to earn grace? Are we trying to earn grace? Maybe earn the Lord's love, earn a larger reward. And I'm probably, I'm sure that maybe you're thinking that right now and maybe the answer is like, well, maybe no right now. However, my encouragement to you is to allow the Holy Spirit to point some of these things out to us. Like, it's, it's like this weird, like, again, tug of war that I even have in my head. I was like, oh man, the more work I put into this sermon, the better it's gonna be. Is that always the case? The, this is like the honest truth about speaking in front of people that I've experienced. The sermons I feel the best about, people have been like, mm, good job, Mark. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And I walk on and go. And then I like, sometimes I get done with the sermon. I'm like, oh, awful. That's the one, like five people come in tears like, oh my gosh, that was beautiful. I heard the Lord speak. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how does this work? But I feel like that's like the truth about like, the way the Lord works. Grace doesn't make sense. The more effort we put in doesn't necessarily mean we get more back. Maybe it's something like as simple as coming to church for you guys or reading the Bible or prayer. Sometimes we think like, yes, if I do X amount of this or like if I pray this much, things will happen. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But that's not what I entirely see about the Lord in the Bible. In Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's, again, another famous uh, part of Scripture. And the Lord has made it that grace is free. He freely gives it. And I was just sitting and praying about like free grace. Like it doesn't make any sense to me sometimes like how the Lord does so much for nothing. There's nothing that we can do that allows us to be more qualified for grace, less qualified for grace, to receive that love from Jesus. There's nothing we can do. The, this beautiful and wonderful gift of grace is so extravagant and so amazing. The fact that we can be forgiven, it is free because Jesus died to make it free. Just read some of Paul's uh, letters and what Paul wrote about being like trapped by this law, this weight of the law, but freed by grace. Over and over again, he writes about that. And all we have to do is believe that what Jesus did actually happened. Who he says he is, being this, the son of God, dying for our sins and turning from those sins towards him. So maybe like tonight, that's like a complex way of saying, I hope grace allows you to feel that weight off of your shoulders that achievement-based society that we lived, live in right now, sometimes that, that weighs heavy. You gotta do this much to be successful. You gotta be this type of person in order to be liked. Man, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about grace. But sometimes we get 
Again, that tug of war in our heads. And I know even though I know grace is a thing and I know that that's true, I still think things like this. Like, like what do we do when we resent those that in our minds, in our values, like deserve little to nothing? What do we do with that? What do we do when we resent God for the grace he gives those that deserve nothing? Like the people who started early in the parable thinking about the people who got a full day's wage even though they only worked an hour. What do we do when we think those types of things and feel those things? Because it's easiest for get to us to get in that mindset and believe we've earned a certain amount of blessing or reward from the Lord. Like, I've been following Jesus for so long, so my prayers should be answered, right? But this person over here who's just been following Jesus for like a couple days, like, why, why do they get their prayer for a parking space? It doesn't make any sense. Why does that person get an audible word from the Lord when I've been praying to hear his voice forever? Why does that person... Um, blessed with a family when I'm all alone? Or why do I have to deal with so much depression and anxiety and others seem so normal and so their life seems so easy? Or why is life so hard all the time when everyone else seems like they're enjoying it? Why is my life filled with loss and others with plenty? I don't know if those are some of the questions that you might have. But sometimes I have those thoughts. I had those thoughts as I was thinking about this message on grace. I was like, why, do, why does the Lord do some things and not in other cases? And I can't answer all those questions. But I, what I do know is that sin truly is more devastating than we know. Also that there's spiritual warfare happening all the time, all around us. And that that same feeling uh, that was creeping into the minds of those early workers in the parable is sometimes creeps into our head. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. So however much uh, we would like to think that we have things uh, in common with those early workers and judging other people, I think the answer to that question of what do we do when we resent those that in our minds deserve little to nothing and what do we do when we resent God for the grace that he gives those that we think deserve nothing, I think the answer to that question is we need to have the same mindset and motivation of the last workers. So before uh, we started Valley, uh, Michael and I were out of work. Finances, personal finances, not looking so great, you know, when you don't work, bills tend to keep coming for some reason. Um, thankfully, we're offered this uh, two-day job to move office furniture out of a government facility. And um, they were going to remodel it. And our job was just move basically this office furniture from point A to point B, which was across like a parking lot. Um, I desks are heavy and I'm a weak little person. Um, I sit in a chair 90% of the day. I drink coffee. Um, I don't know. That's basically my life. So, uh, and then sometimes I drive a car. That's about all I do. But um, there's, it, there were these other guys there, like Michael, uh, 
was there with me um, and some other guys. And, and there was like some actual like construction workers who were like big and huge and could pick up like these desks with like one hand. And I was like, oh my gosh. So if there was that, again, that lineup, like the dodgeball lineup, who do you want first? It was definitely not me. I was last on that list. Uh, so this is tough work. It's really hard. Also, the government facility that we were doing this at was a water treatment plant, so it smelled like poop. Um, it was just awful. Um, <laughs> um, however, I saw the blessing in this, and I was like, let's just do it. I, I'm like, this is the Lord providing for me. So all of a sudden, like, this, like, I don't know, this gratefulness came over me. This, this is not my type of labor. This is, like, hard. It smelled funny. But I was like, this is great. And then it was mentioned that it was prevailing wage. And I was like, what's prevailing wage? And it didn't, I was like, what's that even mean? And someone was trying to explain it to me. I was like, oh, government, laws, rules. And I was like, oh, okay. They're like, Basically, you're going to get paid way more than you should. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. So essentially, uh, like, I had this, like, grateful attitude that I had work. And then it, like, grew even more that I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to pay me so much. Like, even though this is hard, stinky labor, like, this is incredible. All I know is that it was the most I ever made per hour. Like, it was stupid like I should not have been paid that much money for what I was doing <laughs> and I was shocked but I was grateful and I think those last workers when they received their denarius it was like they were probably even more grateful than I was our motivation for serving the Lord our motivation uh, and way to get through some of those like negative thoughts those this isn't fair type attitude I believe is gratefulness. And that only comes through reflecting on how great Jesus is. That journey that uh, he's taken us all on, the journey to draw him to himself, not thinking uh, about what we have or what we don't have. But man, like when I think about my life, I still can't believe that Jesus uses me. I can't believe that Jesus would give purpose and mission to a kid who only liked to play video games and golf, really, and liked pizza a lot. That's pretty much all I was. And Jesus pulled me out and showed me a better way. I can't believe that the Lord would give like us a beautiful family. Like I have three girls. They're stinkers, but they're beautiful, and I, they are huge blessings. Man, when I think about those things and the growth, even through the hardest times in my life, when I think about when my mom died from cancer and how I could have been just stuck, angry at the Lord, angry at uh, just angry in general, but the Lord chose to grow me through that experience. I could have been mad when, um, in college, when, like, I didn't get to go to the national championship. Or I could have been mad in high school when the girl said no when I asked her out. There's so many things where I look back and the Lord has, even in the hardest times, has grown me. And I hope that for you, 
you can have that same type of experience where you look back on your life and you can pinpoint areas, milestones, things where the Lord has done something amazing for you and that you can have that same experience as those last workers of gratefulness. Because even though we are maybe the last and the least workers sometimes, Jesus became even less than us by dying for us. Michael J. Wilkins says, the profound significance of gratitude is that it impacts not just one toward whom we should be grateful to, but all other relationships as well. And that's the final thing I want to leave you guys with tonight before we go into worship here is that gratefulness helps our relationship with the Lord. And not only the Lord, but the people around us. And I don't know about you. um, I try to keep off the news and Twitter and that kind of stuff. um, But I feel like the world could use some grateful people. The world could use some grateful uh, followers of Jesus. The the world could use some just radical grace that um, I feel like we are capable of giving only through the Lord. So as um, we just go into this set, I want to remind you again to think about what has Jesus brought you through? What is the... What are the things he has given you? What can you truly be grateful for? Because even if you think like life is tough, I'm sure the Lord has continued to bless you if we only take the time to pause, to think about it, and to look at it. So let's pray and we'll go into this time of worship. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace that you give freely can't earn it, can't, can't buy it. But Lord, we just think of how you died for us still. Even though we're sinners, even though we fall short, Jesus, you love us. Lord, I just pray that we're, uh, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, that you would allow us to reflect on those times that you have brought us through, the journey you've taken us on, the blessings that you've poured out, that maybe we feel like the early worker and we feel maybe a bit like life is unfair, but Jesus, I pray that we move towards more of being like that last worker who is grateful and sees the immense amount of grace that you have poured out on us. So Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for how you love us. And thank you how, for how you don't give up on us. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.